I, th I think that was just a brilliant time of praising God, and I don't dance, but now I do. You know why? Because the Bible commands us to. <laughs> dance before the Lord. It's like we want to be like God. You know the Bible says He dances over you. That's quite a one to get in your religious brain. Um, you know, the goodness of God, it's just these images of God that, again, like I said, they're two sides to a coin. And we need to always remember that, you know, God doesn't fit just on one side. It, we, it, truth is found in tension a lot of the time. And the character of God is so foreign to the religious God you might have grown up with. Amen. So who's ready for this today? Are you ready? Because I'm fired up. I won't lie to you. I was, um, uh, we're in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 32, I think, today. Um, we, because I just don't know sometimes where God's taking us on this journey. Um, children, please, can you go to Children's Church? Thank you, babe, for waving at me. Um, parents with children, please leave that way. Um, because your children will have a great time. Uh, unless they want to get into Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32. But I, I'm excited for what God is doing here in this church. Who's excited for it? Yeah, it's good to have um, Eden and Katie back um, yeah. over from Ireland. Who's enjoyed that drumming? I mean, uh, wow, we've, we missed that, eh? Um, but they are a great blessing. So thank you guys for, for playing and, and being here. Um, but we've, we, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. I'm just going to jump in the Word. If you, uh, re, last week, I just thought, let's just get back to the Word. Let's get back to the truth of God's Word. I'm not going to try and entertain you today. I just want to get into the truth of God's word and just bless you with that. So if I go for it, I'm just, I, I, I don't know about you, but I just want to hear from God. And I, the thing I've realized is churches can sometimes be built on programs and attendance to a Sunday, and you don't actually have a real relationship with God himself. And the problem with that is it ends up a church can blow up, things can happen in a church. Where's your faith then? If it's built on just an attendance mindset of coming to a place and being entertained by us, you're in big trouble. Because ultimately, we're meant to be a family that do life together and get the word inside our hearts that we can live from a place of knowing God, His truth, His presence for ourselves, that we can walk as a community into the destiny that He's got for us. But it takes a personal relationship with God, a personal knowing of God. And we've never had the, the opportunity we've had as a church to know the word of God like we do right now. I just said to the, you know, Josh, Luke, I was like, let's read through the Bible in a year. Let's get the word of God into our hearts. Let's invest the word in memorization of scripture where it's not the popular thing in our day and our age. Because ultimately, we're not just building a church of numbers. We want to build a church of disciples. And disciples are people who are followers of Jesus and they start looking like Jesus because the word gets inside their heart and they start living from the word where they speak the word and they don't just speak the news that they watch every single day. Amen. So I'm fired up. Um, let me just read a scripture because I've just said all that about the Bible and then I might just go off track. Is that okay? Awesome. Acts 4.32, it says this, all the believers. Can you say all? all. How many believers were there? All. all the believers were one in heart. Can you say Heart. heart. And mind. <laughs> Challenging scripture. <laughs> How many believers? All. Come on, Lauren. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to throw a punch here. <laughs> All the believers who are one in heart and mind. I just can't settle for a church where some people are doing this stuff and some aren't. It's just not biblical. It says all of them. It's not an attendance mindset. It's not a spectator sport. Christianity is an all-in sport. 
It's where we all get to play. We all get to and take the kingdom with us wherever we go. And it says this, all of them were one in heart and mind. If you've ever sat down with someone and you just linked up in heart, I say to people all the time, if you come to True Life Church and there's no heart connection, move on. That, honestly, I don't want to build a church where we just build having you here for the sake of numbers. I want to build a church where we one in heart and mind. If you're, and it's not saying that there's something wrong. If your heart doesn't connect with the vision and the heart of the church, that's okay. I'm, I'm not insecure enough that I need you to fill a seat. Move on. If your heart's not connected. But if your heart's connected, dig deep. Build deep. Say, actually, oh, that was a bit. Eh? <laughs> I'm going to go, whoa. I thought my teenage years were past. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Get, dig deep build roots you know that we we live in a generation where we love to jump up and go on these trips to thailand and asia and go traveling and find ourselves you know what you're going to find the broken person you are there's something about settling and saying actually i'm going to dig my roots in a community where i'm known and people know me and i know them and i want to build a family of believers who are on a mission together into a destiny bigger than themselves where this church exists not just for itself but for the world around it where we we're not just inward focused but we outward focused and we say actually how can we bless our city how can this church exist not just for my pleasure and my desire but for the desire of god for a generation that is far from him a post Christian generation where we're in a city of about 250,000 people how many of them know Jesus people like there's so many churches in Milton Keynes I'm like really there's so much more need because while the revival that's coming is going to capture everyone anyway let's keep going no one claimed that any of his possessions can you say possessions was his own but they shared can you say shared everything can you say everything they had who likes to share <laughs> it depends what it is if it's a tub of chocolate fudge brownie ben and jerry's i don't like to share i really don't the selfish sinner inside of me wants to preserve and hide it who knows what i'm talking about some of you come from families where you share food i do not come from that family i grew up in africa like you preserve your food Hey, don't touch my food, boy. You know, I remember Anna starting to date her, and she just went straight for my food. I'm, and I always, I eat around the thing, so I have the best bite for last. And then she comes in and grabs the best bite. I was like, what are you doing? I don't want to share that with you. You ordered yours. And then she says, it's called food envy. I said, well, it's called contentment in Jesus. So you better learn that. <laughs> but we've grown in our marriage. And we've communicated and walked through that. Amen. But the Bible says they shared everything they had. I found this scripture so challenging. I was talking it through with Luke this week. I say, you know, as a, a, a business person, as someone who understands, you know, finance, I think, man, this is hard. What does it look like in the 21st century to live this kind of thing out? Where we share things, where we, we, when we have a spare car, we, someone's car goes in a crash, we share the car. What happens when we, someone needs uh, whatever it is, a suit, food, whatever, we share, we open our hearts, we have this generosity that flows out of us. That's the kingdom that of God. It's not a stingy kingdom. It's not a, a you know, 
God's not stingy. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We serve a generous God. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Radical Christianity. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Radical giving. Radical generosity. Radical church life. It wasn't forced. It wasn't coerced. It was a radical moment in the history of the church where the gospel got so hold of their hearts that it over and overflowed in a rich generosity. And what does that look like as a church? I, you know, I'm praying about and saying to Anna, this, these verses challenge me. They grip my heart as, as true life church. We, you know, the economy is going into a recession. What does it look like for us to bond together, bond together and say, how can I help you? How can we, you know, share with one another in this season? What if it meant us living in each other's houses for a season? What if it meant opening our spare bedrooms in order to bless someone? What if it meant the gospel infecting not just a Sunday, but a Monday? Where someone's at your dinner table. <laughs> Come on. Some of you like, I'm an introvert. I'm also an introvert. I like my own space. But the gospel challenges me. Kenya it will be a challenge for me. <laughs> Being with these people that I love deeply. For two weeks, I need some moments, guys. It's not personal. I just need to sit alone with Jesus. But you know what? It's challenging. Why? Because when we do life together, we go on mission together. We're in each other's space and lives. Amen. Come on. <laughs> wow. You know, this kind of giving costs something. This kind of thing challenges. I always say to people, we don't believe in just giving the bare minimum. Tithing shouldn't be the end point. It should be the start point. Generosity should overflow. It should just be a stepping stone to a wealthier generosity towards one another and to the world around us. You know, we've had people in this church receive houses. People in this church receive cars. People in this church receive the blessing of God in the most radical way. That's the goodness of God, but we want to see more. What is our story for today? What is the need for today? And some of you are like, well, I have nothing. I want to be the one receiving. Change your mindset and start thinking about how you can start blessing and giving. Yeah. Amen. Come on. I'm not even going to focus on that. We're going to go into this next part because this gets a little complicated. Um, so we're talking about radical generosity, radical glory, and radical going. If you want to take notes, but Acts 5 1, it says this Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Sounds good, hey? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan, can you say Satan, Satan. has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Can you say Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Can you say God? God. 
So who did he lie to in verse 3? It says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, it says, you have lied not to men, but to God. Why is that the case? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But notice this, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized the whole, all who heard about what had happened. Now, how many of you are struggling with this story so far? These guys sell a piece of property, they come together, and then what happens? They keep back part of the money for themselves. They had a bit of um, remorse giving there. Like, I don't want to give this whole thing away. And what happens, that word for kept back is the same word that can be translated stolen. So the, uh, some commentators commentate that that must mean that they had some form of contract to give that money away. It's not in the text, but it would make sense from the translation issue. But equally, there's this thing of they've said they're going to give, and your word is your bond. Yeah. And yet what they went back on was their word and what they decided to give. In order to look good before people, they wanted to say, yes, we've given everything. And what happens? The Holy Spirit doesn't tolerate that. Yeah. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit as if he's an it. Please never call the Holy Spirit it. He's a person. He is a person. If you come and call me it, Dylan, if you call my wife it, then you will get hit. You know, there's this thing about the Holy Spirit. People are like, can a pastor hit someone? You hurt my wife, I will smack you. <laughs> and let's just pour, then I'll need some backup. But here's the thing. People are like, oh, hey, look, these guys died. <laughs> Translate what you would. <laughs> Some people are like, I'll just come to visit. I, I want to leave. Um, great fear seized all who heard about what had happened. The thing about <laughs> this, it says, I love this. The young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. Radical. The Holy Spirit isn't just a, a feeling or a goosebump. He is a, the person of the Trinity of God. Yeah. And sometimes I worry about some of our camps and conferences that Christians go to. And it's like, oh, I had the Holy Spirit, but my lifestyle's just in all this kind of crazy sin. But that doesn't matter because He loves me and I've got goosebumps. You've limited God to goosebumps when He, the glory of God is bigger than your goosebumps, people. You want goosebumps, put the aircon on. You want the glory of God. Let's lift him up for who he is. He is glorious. He is mighty. I've been emphasizing this because I feel like there's a correction that needs to come in our hearts. Because we have a generation that doesn't know what to do with scriptures like this. Anna was asking me questions about God from Romans 9 yesterday. I was like, yep. He can do what he wants. That's the point. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. The, I, I said Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Yeah. You got a problem with that? Good. Because you're not God. But we're so used to Christian preaching making us God rather than him God that we have an issue with it. Yeah. Sorry. But you're not. And the problem is we've had parents parenting in the modern day age which makes the children God. So when they grow up they actually believe they're God and that their opinion is above God. You see, the deconstruction of family affects your view of God. And we need to get back to the Bible. Come on. I'm fired up. Hey, yo. 
Someone's got like a nervous laugh there. <laughs> yeah. Then I, I love this part. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked to tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and, at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. I love the verse of explanation. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Crazy. You, you know, we've limited the fear of God to just an awe or reverence. I think the fear of God is bigger, and there's a healthy view of the fear of God that is needed back in the church of Jesus Christ today. We've lost it. And I'll tell you something, friends. It's very important that two sides, we have a loving Father who wants us intimately and deeply, and we also have a mighty warrior God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And to hold that paradox and tension is so important. He is both and. Just like I'm a father and a husband, I am both those things. I don't have to be either or. Amen. Amen. Come on. So, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. How would you want to grow a church? What, what would we do with a story like this today? Can, can you imagine the investigation? Imagine the police asking questions, Ollie arriving with his clipboard <laughs> and saying, so, do explain yourself. Well, they came to give an offering, <laughs> they kept some back for themselves, and they died. <laughs> Did you kill them? I don't think so. The glory of God came, and they died. Uh, then I'll be like, Willem was preaching, <laughs> and he was in this whole moment, so please ask him any further questions. Uh, that's how that would go. Like, I, I'm not going to prison for this. You know, you can take one for the team, part of team membership. But, um, but the reality is, can you, like, picture the story in the modern day age. Can you imagine the authorities of the time thinking, what is going on in this crazy church? Because the radical glory of God appears and suddenly people ask questions they've never asked. It says in verse 13, no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. There was this holy fear that came, but it says this, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You see, when God appears and it's a genuine move of the Spirit of God, there's a holy awe and reverence and glory and fear of God that frees us from the fear of man. I love this. Um, most people who shun the concept of the fear of the Lord are actually in bondage already to the fear of man. This is the problem in our day and our age. We care more about what people think than about what God thinks. It says, in, uh, you know who the apostle uh, was that whom Jesus loved? That was literally the, the guy's name was John. He wrote the gospel of John. He was the same disciple who leant back against Jesus' chest at the last supper. He had the, one of the most intimate, loving relationships with Jesus. And yet it says in Revelations 1 verse uh, 12 on there, it says that he sees a picture of Jesus. He sees someone, son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. It says his head and hair.
hair were white as wool, as white as snow. His feet were like burnished bronze. His eyes were like blazing fire. In his mouth he had a sharp double-edged sword. You know, it's this glorious picture. And you know what it says? When I saw him, this is John, the same one whom Jesus loved and is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Notice something. He encapsulates the love of Christ and this holy reverence and awe of God in the same person. Amen. And we need to see this for what it is because God is moving, but he is a king of glory. He is not someone to be messed around with. He can handle, can handle everything in this world because he is mighty and he is strong. I remember... Having a moment with the Holy Spirit, which some of you will have had. And I went to this uh, conference. I was surfing in Durban and I was driving back and we arrived late. And we got onto the back row. There were about 1,200, 1,500 people in the room. And we ride on the back row and there's a preacher preaching from Isaiah 61. Is this okay? Yeah. Sounds really cool. It says, As the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he just starts reading the scriptures. He cancels this whole preach. He starts reading this. And he said, the Holy Spirit is here. The presence of God is here. And he just shouted fire like that. Boom. And he said, put out your hands if you want to receive. And he shouts fire. And you just hear this, this chaos in the room. As this wave, you just hear chairs going. I have my eyes closed. I'm like, I don't know what's coming, but it's about to, you know, I'm right at the back here. And people are just getting touched by God in the most incredible way. I'm on the back, back row. It's like waiting for something to hit you. That's the best way I could under explain it. But this wave just came, and I remember it was like a wall, a solid wall of glory just hitting me. Bam. Went flying. In the air. Must have been, I don't even know how far back. My phone broke. Everything. It was, it was the most radical experience. It was like an electric current going through my body from my head to my feet. I was just like, I was out 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it was. I was gone with God. And you know something? I got up from there. I remember driving about 45-minute um, journey back home, shaking the whole entire way with this, this current. It felt like an electric current. It was just going. And you know what I had? A fear of God like I've never had before. Because I realized and I said to God, I said, God, that could have killed me. That wasn't just, you know, goosebump, goosebump. That was, that was a glory of something that I'd never encountered in my life before. But I had this holy fear of God. I was like, God, you are mighty. You are strong. And it was such a good place. And at the same time, I know I'm loved and secure in you. But also this awe and, and the mightiness of God just touched my life. And I want to pray the same for you. That we have encounters with God that shake us to our core. That stir us to say, God is God. This isn't me orchestrating. This is God arriving in his church. And it changes everything. Amen. It says, I love this. Apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Verse 12. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. And it says, as a result, in verse 15, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow, can you say shadow? shadow. Might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. Can you say evil spirits, please? And all of them were healed. Some of them or all? 
all. Come on. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel, can you say angel? angel. Of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Can I just take a little moment to say, they get arrested, and then what happens is an angel of the Lord just appears and opens the jail doors for them and leads them out. Who, this, take, take a moment to consider that. An angel. This is the book of Acts. This is the, the glory that comes into a local church. And sometimes we're so afraid of the angelic, but we're so comfortable with the demonic. And I ask us the question that in our Western modern age, some of us, when I talk about evil spirits here, you know, people being set free and healed of that, your Western mind thinks, oh, how archaic, hey, how um, old school is that? That's not what we believe as modern Western day Christians. Let me tell you something, friends. Angels and demons are real. You know, you know it's funny, Nietzsche, a philosopher, is saying God is dead. In the generation that God's meant to be dead with atheism, what's happened? People have gone to a form of spiritualism unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah. Suddenly, Harry Potter comes and books start flying off the shelves. Wow, because people want to believe in something of the supernatural. Look on Netflix, how many shows are filled with a supernatural element that fascinates us in a day and an age which apparently atheism was going to win the day. We've ended up with a form of spiritualism without Jesus Christ as king. And the result is the most tormented generation we've ever seen. My question to you, is that just by chance or could it be that there's a demonic strategy upon a generation to distract us and destroy us because we've lost sight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That actually when we talk about evil spirits, I I find it so funny, a lot of my non-Christian friends, and you might be here saying, I don't believe in God or this, but we can talk about haunted houses. And they're like, oh, there's something, you know, not right about that. There's this fascination with a supposed atheist. People are more happy believing in the devil than in God. Ask your friends. You know what the Bible teaches is in Revelation 12 that there was war in heaven. And the dragon, the devil, and his angels fought against Michael and his angels, but they were not strong enough. And it says, and they lost their place in heaven and were thrown down to the earth. And you know what it says? It says, um, now have come the salvation, kingdom, power of our God, the authority of his Christ, because the accuser of our brothers, the devil himself, has been hurled down. He accuses us before the Father day and night. There's that demonic strategy to accuse you, to put you in a place of shame. It can be from the enemy, friends. But you know what it says? Rejoice. Because they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ today, you do not have to fear what I'm talking about. Because you are covered in the blood of Christ and you have the word of your testimony, which is Jesus saved me, Jesus healed me, Jesus restored me. But sometimes I I watch people look at uh, Africa and say, oh, you know, they're just not as sophisticated as as us with the evil spirits and that. I say, come to Africa and say that. Come and see some of the things. I, you know, people are like, why is it more 
in South Africa, look, it's just, there is demonic strategy in every single nation, I believe. You look at South Africa, it can be a more violent spirit across a nation. Why is there such violent crime in South Africa? And unlike anything in most of Africa, out of war zones, the most violent democracy in the world, South Africa. Why? Because you have a demonic presence. That can, you have, in Daniel, pictures of these things operating across nations where the church needs to come on their knees, bind, and go forward in preaching the gospel. But you come to Britain, and we think, oh, we just so there. Could it be that the enemy has a strategy of getting us into this thing? And convincing us that this is the solution to every single problem in our lives. And yet we have the biggest mental health crisis that the world's ever seen. Am I offending people yet? Does that mean, Dylan, that every violent element in South Africa, every mental health issue here is from a demon? No. But it can mean that there are spirits that torment us. Because that's what we see in Scripture. And sometimes the solution isn't you just getting caught up here. Sometimes the solution is having a brother or sister in Christ praying for you and seeing you set free. Amen. Wow. This is going down well. I'm hitting some strongholds here. Genuinely. Could it be that there's a demonic strategy upon this nation in materialism? That no matter how much people have, they're never content. Why is it we in one of the most prosperous nations in the entire world, even with the economic climate right now, and yet our happiness rates are the, one of the lowest? How is that? A materialistic spirit can affect an entire nation. But in the same way, I don't want to give the devil too much glory, God himself, when he comes and moves in a nation, can shift that entire nation into freedom. I believe the church of Jesus Christ has the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which were given to Jesus when he was raised again, that we can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, that when we're in this presence, suddenly things start shifting in our hearts and minds. Amen. Amen. So I know that there are people here who are saying, Dylan, is this really real? I mean, is there any more scripture you can give me? Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you want any more evidence? Because sometimes I was sitting last night meditating on the word and I thought, God, has the demonic been trying to strategize to destroy this church from day one? Absolutely. But you know what? I'm not seated on earth. I'm seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And when you understand the truth of Jesus, you stand in that truth. And when the devil comes to torment you, to try and test you, to try and tempt you, what do you do? You say, actually, I know who I am in Christ. You use the Bible, the word of Jesus Christ, which is like a sword, which the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 70, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But the problem is, oh man, I'm (laughs) going to feel that. Oh man, the problem is we've disarmed the church. With nice popcorn sermonettes. Telling you just how wonderful we are. We've taken the very sword of the word out of our hands. All the pastoral work we do. Half of the battle is putting the sword back in the church. Is that true? Half the battle we use this constantly. Because I can't keep you free. But Jesus can. 
And when the word burns inside of you, like Jeremiah said, it's like a fire burning inside of me. I'm wary of holding it in. If I keep it in, it will consume me. When the word burns, the devil comes. He's like, you are unworthy of preaching today. You are unworthy of leading or whatever it is. You know what I can say? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because I know that I'm redeemed by grace. I'm saved by grace. I'm set free by grace. I'm God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. You can go to hell where you belong. I feel like an American preacher. American anointings here. You guys are bored with you. Did you know that we're not even in this battle alone? Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Did you know that angels are sent to serve you who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1 verse 14. It says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We've got so far from this that if I said, so, you know, and please hear me out. Some people are like, I saw an angel. I just see angels everywhere. Uh, and sometimes you do. But also sometimes I'm like, really? Because most times in the Bible when people saw angels, they were on their faces on the floor. When the angelic realm, and I have friends who are seers, they, can, um, they have the gift of discernment, the spiritual gift, which is a gift that needs to operate in this church. That I've learned to trust some people. Asher walks in a measure of that. I remember her saying, something's just, and it's like everything in the natural seems fine, but there's something that's not right. And we, I'm like, I just don't see it, but I've learned to trust certain voices in this church with that gift because we are body and we work together. Amen. You know, it says, uh, can I just challenge you, friends? Is this okay? Am I? Yeah, yeah. uh, Okay, some of you are still offended. That's okay. (laughs) That demonic spirit of offense, I (laughs) (laughs) repeat. Oh, man. It's like, is that a demon? Oh, no. (laughs) You know, so I remember as a young guy, I just, again, this, but the films that we watched, you know what me and my friend Quinn used to do? We used to, on a Saturday, hire, this was back in the days when DVDs were a thing, and you'd go to the video shop to hire the videos. Anyone remember those days at, of a previous generation? Um, we'd go and hire all the horror films and just watch horror films in the dark. And then, <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but when I watch a horror film, generally fear comes. <laughs> Especially when you're in the dark in a house in South Africa with gunshots going off all around you. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, I'm like, and then one day our youth leader was just like, what do you guys do on a Saturday? Like, yeah, we watch these horror films, and they're like, they from the pit of hell. <laughs> I was so convicted. I never watched another horror film. I was like, ah, no. <laughs> but the thing is, friends, be careful. Be careful that sometimes the demonic works in such subtle ways, such you know, ways that we think are just so normal. And I can't put something on different people's consciences here. But I can say, be careful if it affects you and it doesn't leave you with a spirit of sound mind and faith. I'll question the root of that thing. And the same people that are saying, Dylan, I can't believe you watch horror films. You watch your rom-coms. They have a demonic strategy to destroy your marriage, destroy your relationships, destroy every expectation of sex that you could possibly have. Because why? It's a demonic strategy to make a reality that doesn't even exist. And it normally destroys people later on. But we've never questioned that. But we always say all the horror films. Dylan, you listen to heavy metal. I was a metalhead. Yeah, I was in a metal band, Christian metal band to say. And, uh, uh, 
People are like, oh, I can't believe you did that. We're going to some of the darkest places as musicians and playing these gigs. And one time I actually bled. I, it was just so good. But it was, I was like, <laughs> they overcame him by the blood. No, as, but people were, were shocked. Like, can you be in a metal band and be a Christian? I'm like, yet you can go to a Justin Bieber concert and sing about all kinds of immoral things, and that's okay, but going to a metal band, that's apparently evil. You see, we've, the devil's stolen the good music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we're doing a metal set. <laughs> oh, man. Can I, I'm just destroying some religious cows. Is that okay? Yeah. If it's not okay, that's fine. You know in India, you know where the thing about a holy cow came from? In India. Because you get the holy cows for, you know, the gods and that. And the cow can walk into the people's house, poo wherever it wants, but they never touch the holy cow because it's seen as holy. So they let poo go all in the house because the cow's holy. I will not allow a cow to poo in this church. I will not allow religious poop to have a root in this church. We will get Willem to scoop that poop up <laughs> and get it out in Jesus' name. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But the thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. He wants us sick. You know, I was saying to Andrew, I'm like, uh, Ethan, ill, meningitis. Dan was meant to be preaching today. COVID. Dan's dad was in hospital. I'm like, oh, you know, and it's just like constant, constant, constant. I'm sitting there praying for him. I'm like, no, I rebuke this. This cannot carry on. This is unacceptable in the spirit of God because we are seated in heavenly places. I will not allow this attack to continue with my brother and sister in Christ and family that I love and I want to see prosper and God's hand is upon. Friends, we need to war for one another in the secret place. Not just say, oh, I'm going to pray for you and then you don't pray. We get on our knees and we war for each other in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, man. I'm <laughs> I said, hallelujah. What am I doing? Ah, this is so good. Oh, man. Maybe like, he just raided himself. No. <laughs> I'm having fun. I remember, um, how many of you believe demons are real? A few. I've got a bit of work to do here. Um, the Bible teaches that the demonic can have strength. The thing I'm very aware of, we're in a young church, that some of you have no teaching on this at all. Some of you have years of teaching that sometimes can be dodgy as well. <laughs> and it's time we come back to the Bible. Yeah. What does the Bible teach? It says they were tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. Yeah. There's no authority in a demonic over your life. Accept the lie that you believe that there is. And that's where the war comes. The truth of God's word in your heart, in your mind. The demonic can have supernatural strength. Do you remember in Mark chapter 5, the man called Legion? He had all these demons and he came and it said no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain because he had often been bound hand and foot, but he broke the chains and tore the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Anyone seen that? Not good. But you know what? It says this, I love in verse 6, when he saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. You know what our job as a church is to do? Lift Jesus up. 
I can't set you free from a demon. Jesus can. You might be saying there, Dylan, I do believe that Christians can have demons. I don't believe that if the Spirit of God is inside you, that He dwells inside of you, that you can be possessed by a demon. But I do believe that you can be tormented. And I've seen some incredible moments which have challenged my theology on this, but I won't go into detail, where I've been like, okay, that doesn't fit my box too well. But ultimately, I know it's got to go. And no Christian here should be under the oppression of the enemy. Not one of you. Every single one of you should be set free. Amen. Amen. I remember a kid in South Africa. This is a funny story. Shall I tell it? Okay. Um, (laughs) I remember this this guy. I was a teacher in South Africa, and we had an assembly. And this guy came, and he was, um, uh, what, year 11, whatever, 17. And he he comes up to me. He calls me out the staff room. I'm having my cup of tea. Walk out. And as I get this, sir, sir, please pr- pray for me. I'm like, okay, let's go. Pray for him. This outside the staff room in the middle of a school break. Pray for him. And then he just starts going absolutely crazy on the floor, going. And then he just jumps up and he runs. He just goes and he bolts. I'm like, I'm going to get him. I ran. I chased him. People are like, this could not happen in Britain. <laughs> but I remember chasing this guy down, and I had another teacher who um, ran the other way and caught him, and he started throttling her, trying to get her. So I did the only thing I knew to do. I wasn't that there, so I grabbed him and threw him on the floor. Boom. And I was like, okay, Jesus' name, blood of Jesus, thing goes. Boom. Like that. But the strength in that young kid was beyond the strength that I had or anyone else as a 17-year-old was stronger than all of us put together. We had this one short um, guy from Cuba, uh, Mr. Perez. He comes running, and he starts trying to do his Catholic thing. I'm like, no, 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 step back. Jesus, (laughs) he is just aggravating it. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. The gospel says, Jesus, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Nothing extra. Nearly get me beaten up. Not happening. But here's the thing. It's a time of freedom. Amen? Amen. But we need to partner with truth because the Bible teaches that when they go, you need to instill the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. Sometimes I've seen people worse off who have been delivered but haven't got the truth of God's word inside of them. And it's time we get the Bible inside of us so that we're ready for the battle. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians 6? Stand. Stand. Sometimes it's not even speaking, it's standing on the truth of God's word. Amen. Radical going, we need to be a people that go and tell the message of this new life. It's the full message of the new life, it's not partial. You're not just a sinner saved by grace, you're a son redeemed by the Father. You're not just a a dirty, rotten person, you are now a totally new creation in Christ. I know some people who struggle with this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Come on. And he has given us a message of reconciliation. He hasn't just forgiven you. He has reconciled you. Do you want to walk in just a moment of saying, yes, Jesus saved me by dying for me. But then it's just a legal transaction. It's not a vibrant relationship with him. 
I want to know Jesus in a vibrant way. And the, the angel says, go into the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Yeah. It's not just you're saved. It's you saved into something from something. Amen. You know, when Danny read that, Romans 8.28, I know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You were designed to look like Jesus. How? By the power of his spirit in your life. Our lives should look like Jesus. The fact they don't is a concern to me. We need to bring our lives and say, God, I know you work all things. You know, the problem with our, our modern day uh, Christian gospel is so often we say, I, like, I didn't have a dad growing up in the house. Sob story. That therefore gives me an excuse to live a shocking life and not be present for my wife and my children. That is a bunch of rubbish. You know what that gives me an excuse for? saying thank you Jesus for saving me that even though I did not have an earthly father I had a heavenly father that was there every single moment of the day and I'm going to use my pain for your purpose because I know that you work all things for the good of those who love you oh but Dylan don't you need counseling I need Jesus come on some of you have had great parents fantastic God works all things for the good of those who love him but don't allow your bad parent experience to be an excuse for a life not looking like Christ. The truth of God's word will set you free. Can you imagine our modern day church? Oh, guys, shame. We were in Kenya and you got arrested. (laughs) 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 That would be funny. I mean, (laughs) can you imagine you guys like getting up on a Sunday and Melissa's like, no, please don't joke about it. Like, Willem, get up, guys. We need a desperate, urgent prayer meeting. They're all in jail. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. That would make a good story as long as we all get out. You know, that, that would be the, the yeah, quickly in, in Jesus' name. Um, but but you, know, you know what I found so interesting is that if that was part of the cost of going into Kenya, which it, who knows, it might be. I don't know. Um, I, re- I really, I can't guarantee it. But what I want to say is... Am I selling it well? Some people are like, I think I've got COVID. I can't go, you know. <laughs> it's, the reality is when we go, friends, there's a radical going and saying, actually, I, whatever the cost, they don't get out and be like, oh, God, why weren't you with us that we ended up in jail? Hey. You know what Paul said? He said, my, because of my chains, I've been able to speak to people that I wouldn't otherwise be able to speak to. And because of my chains, I've been able to encourage people to keep preaching the gospel. That's the heart of a disciple. Not saying, God, why? It's saying, God, yes. You've put me in this situation, and I know you work all things out for the good of those who love you. This is the day and age we live in, friends. You know, a worship team, can you come up? Because I need to finish. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. In Britain, what would we say if we got arrested for our faith? We'd probably say, well, they must have done something wrong. You know, God wouldn't challenge the government. What would we do if persecution came into this nation? It's already here. But what would, it do, what would we do if it meant we couldn't preach like this? Would we just back off in fear or would we step forth in faith? 
And friends, let's not waste this moment in history whilst we still have the freedom to preach Jesus radically like we can. Let's use it. Because the last thing I want is suddenly, imagine, and I'm not, I'm really not prophesying here, but imagine the government just tomorrow said, okay, you can't preach anymore, you can't do this. We'd be in uproar. Yet what have we done with the freedom we had in the first place? It's all great saying, oh, they can't do that. But why? Let's make the most of what God's given us in this beautiful nation. I believe Britain's best days are ahead of her. I believe that this nation will be a leader in the nations again. That we will be sending missionaries out again into the nations. But God has got something big for us. And I love Tertullian. He was addressing the Roman Empire in a time where persecution was against the Christians and there was martyrs all across the, the Roman Empire. You know what he said? He said these words, Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to the dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. One of the Ugandan guys who went through persecution, he said this, without bleeding, the church fails to bless. Friends, you'll see this later. Martyrdom was a gift from God. Yet we see it as a waste and a sign that God's not with us. Yet the reason we are all seated here is because people gave their lives for this gospel and this book that we could gather freely here today. Let's honor that. But no, and I thought about this. I, I know this might sound a bit crazy, but I thought, what would it mean if True Life Church had people in this church that were martyred for their faith in nations that don't want anything to do with Jesus? Would we celebrate it? Would we just cry about it? Would it be sad? Absolutely. But what if God had called us? And I, I'm not saying, like, put up your hand, I want to be a martyr. But I'm saying every one of us should be willing to lay down our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't even know if I'm there. I'll be honest with you. I like to think I am. It's easy to preach it. But am I willing to lay down my life for Christ Jesus? I love Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, 24. He said, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. He has whipped 39 times. Five times. That's a lot. It's like 195, I think, whippings for his faith. He said, three times I was stoned. Once I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Can you imagine that? Being out in the open sea for a day and a night. Slaying his life down for the gospel. And yet he was the one who wrote about joy, joy, joy. Why? Because he had found a reality greater than just the temporal into the eternal. And my question to you, my friend, today, I don't know what, where I've gone with this, because you like Dylan, you've gone all over the place, is I know that we serve a mighty God, and my heart for you is to see this church prosper beyond this true life church. I want to see every person here prosper into eternity with or without me. I want you to know Jesus Christ. That's the point of true life church. Amen. So I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to... Ask God for a release of His kingdom this morning and say, actually, enough is enough. Those of you that felt tormented, it's time for freedom. Those of you with physical ailments, it's time. We've prayed and pressed into it now already, but I want to press in again and say, God, actually, let the glory that comes upon this church overshadow us that people's shadows even heal people. Not so that we can be like, oh, look how wonderful we are, but actually we can say, look how wonderful Jesus is.
He's overshadowed me, and therefore the glory of God is in this house. I don't know about you. Do you just want a safe program and our Sunday attendance? Or do you want to meet Jesus? Genuinely, friends. It's, I know I've gone long today. Are you okay? <laughs> because I, I, I'm stirred up because it's, I think Luke said to me, that on Wednesdays, one of the things that seems to have touched people is getting this book inside your heart. Like it's all good having these tools, but we need the Bible. Me and Paul were talking about, what about your first love? You know, he said, you've persevered and endured hardships for my name. You've done hard work. You've done perseverance. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. He said, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. Sometimes God shuts churches down. People are like, oh, that can't be God's will. When we get detracted from the purposes of God, He can shut us down. It would be the most loving thing He could do. But you know what? I was, I was wrestling with that when me and Paul were talking about saying, have I lost my first love? Has something been taken? Has something been lost in the midst of the busyness of church, the busyness of life, the busyness of business, the busyness of my job, the busyness of everything? Am I doing the things I did at first? Or have I lost something of that? And if I'm honest, I sat last night and I, I got this Bible out. Sorry, can we just keep it? I lost my... I was sitting there and I got the, my Bible out and I said, God, restore my first love again. You know why I hold this Bible? Because this was the first one that I read through. Sat down in 20 days because I thought I had to read it by the end of the year. I didn't realize I could go into the next year. The guy's like, here's how you read the Bible in a year. Put four chapters, one in Matthew, uh, sorry, one in Genesis, one in Psalms, one in Matthew, and one in Acts. Read one each day and you'll get there. So I just sat down and read because I wanted to know the Bible. But then God, I remember him challenging and I thought, I'm just going to memorize the Bible because I want to know God's word for any moment in there. And so I started memorizing the New Testament, just going verse by verse, line by line, saying, God, I want to know you. And this Bible is destroyed now. But you know what? I, I, I love what one preacher said. I've never met a, a person whose Bible is in tatters, whose life is also in tatters. If your Bible's all nice, prim and proper, get those highlighters out and wreck it. Because when this book's inside your heart, I was looking at the goodness of God and saying, God, my marriage would not be what it is. It's not perfect, but it would not be what it is without this book and getting into your word for myself. My life and friendships would not be what they are without this book and getting into my heart. But I had to repent last night and say, actually, I need that first love intimacy back. I can't keep going. Just try, I, I can't, guys, I, I can't impress you. I just want to know him. And I want to know his power and his truth. And I challenge you, if you've never gone through the Bible, get into it for yourself. So we can see freedom. Can we stand, please? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone here that you think, Dylan... I just need freedom in my life. I'm tired of going around the same things, whatever. Can you please come up to the front right now? I feel like there's something in responding to God that there is a freedom that comes from that. If you're saying, Dylan, I just need a, we did last week an infilling, a fresh infilling from you. 
come up again. Why do I need to come up? Because there's something about stepping forward in the physical that activates something in the spiritual. Anyone else? Come on, guys. We're, this is the moment to respond. Tormenting things in your minds, tormenting things in your spirits, nightmares, dreams, terrors, all of that stuff. It, it does not belong to you. Come up. It's time for freedom now. I'm tired of the enemy bullying people in this church. It's time for freedom. Jesus, come on, come on. And can I have leaders, people that are part of partners in True Love Church, please come and help me in prayer now. But I want you to receive, and as we worship now, this is a warfare moment to decree truth over our generation. Amen. Come on, let's respond. Let's go for it. Tim, you.